Welcome, my flourishing friends, to episode number 26. In today's episode, we are going to look at my picks for the top 10 green building technologies for your home. We are going to look at everything from high tech to the very low tech and even ancient technology. And I'll explain to you why I think they make the top 10 list for green building technologies. Not only have I taught courses on green building and planning in the faculties of architecture and environmental science and studies, but I've also been involved in numerous green building renovations and construction projects over the last 20 years. And I also did my own green home renovation long before it was fashionable. So it's an exciting list. Let's dive in. I'm Christina Hunter, and you are listening to the Live Well Green podcast, all about sustainable well-being and green living. We explore how to do what is good for the planet and for ourselves in order to truly flourish. Let's get right down to business. And my number one pick for green building technologies is geothermal energy. Now, geothermal energy can be used for heating and cooling, or even for generating electricity. But we're going to focus on the household application of using it for heating and cooling your home. In fact, in some countries, geothermal energy has been used for cooking and heating for over a thousand years. But more recently, we have been using geothermal energy for well over a hundred years in Europe and North America. However, the technology has evolved and the applications now are really, really beneficial to the environment. Now, geothermal heating and cooling is a method of actually just replacing your household's HVAC system, that heating, ventilation, and air conditioning system. And it simply works with nature to heat or cool buildings using the Earth's energy. And it's really useful because it's a natural and renewable energy source that comes from below the ground. And it's really common in eco-friendly buildings and homes. In fact, I installed a geothermal energy system in my over 100-year-old home and have dramatically improved my carbon footprint by doing so. So now we heat and cool our home with geothermal almost entirely. There is a backup furnace for use in the very, very coldest weather, but the vast majority of the time, the geothermal system manages our needs. And this is in a climate that sees plus 30 degrees Celsius in the summer and minus 30 quite regularly in the wintertime. So in addition to that, I also have the added benefit of not requiring a gas line into my home anymore. So we heat and cool all without the use of fossil fuels. Pretty great, right? 
and the energy that our home uses comes from hydroelectricity. So that's also really useful in reducing our carbon footprint. What happens is that as soon as we get to about 1.8 meters, which is six feet down below ground, the temperature remains constant all year round. And so a geothermal energy system takes advantage of this reality. Using pipes, sometimes called an earth loop, buried underground near the building, fluid is piped through those pipes and is then used in the home. Now, how can this temperature be enough to heat your home, you're asking? We're not all living in a place with natural hot water underground like we have in some areas of the U.S., think Yellowstone National Park, or in Iceland. Well, the temperature of the groundwater around my area is only about four degrees Celsius, certainly not enough to heat my home. Or is it? That's where the magic of a compressor comes in. With the compressor, the fluid has a very low boiling point. And when the incoming circulated fluid from those pipes underground at four degrees Celsius hits this compressor fluid, the compressor fluid boils, becoming a low temperature vapor, which when compressed gives off heat. And the reverse happens when we wish to cool our homes. And it's actually the exact same process that happens in your refrigerator, where you might have noticed that, of course, in order to keep the inside temperature of your fridge cool, it's expelling hot air at the back of the refrigerator through those coils. And so this is the same idea. But with geothermal systems, there are a number of ways in which they can be installed. They can either be open loop systems using groundwater directly circulating through those pipes or a closed loop system, which is what I have for my home, which circulates another fluid through those pipes underground. Or it could even be in a water body like a lake or a river. So there are many, many different options for applying this geothermal system to our homes and other buildings. What's interesting about a geothermal system is that it has a very, very high coefficient of performance. And this coefficient of performance, or COP, is a way to measure the efficiency of energy derived through different heating systems. And on the website, Dectera, they provide a breakdown of the coefficient of performance of a variety of different home heating application systems. And a lot of traditional heating systems, such as those with fossil fuels, have a COP of less than one. For example, gas or propane furnaces have a COP of 092 And an oil furnace has a COP of 0.05. However, a geothermal system has a COP of 3, which means it's more than three times as efficient as a gas furnace in converting energy into home heating and cooling. So there's another side benefit, though, of these geothermal systems. In addition to providing your home's heating and cooling, it also has the added benefit of heating your hot water for you as part of its system. So for me, in our household, whenever our system is running, either heating or cooling, that means that we are getting free hot water as well. 
as I mentioned, we have no fossil fuels coming into the house, so there's no gas hot water heater, and we just have a small on-demand hot water heater system for use when the geothermal is not running. So that's an added benefit. In our 100-plus-year-old home, this has made a great deal of difference in allowing us to be much more energy efficient. So some of the benefits of geothermal heating are that there are no greenhouse gases directly coming from the system because we're not burning fossil fuels. But we would, of course, also want to consider our electricity source. And geothermal systems have a very, very long lifespan. They can last for generations. It actually consumes no water. Even open-loop systems return the same water to the ground. And it can even heat multiple areas simultaneously, including your home, your hot water for domestic use, or even a swimming pool. What I love about geothermal is that it allows you to go entirely off of fossil fuels for the heating and cooling of your home. Plus, you get this added benefit of the system also heating your domestic hot water for the months when the system is running. So that's my number one pick, geothermal heating and cooling. Let's go on to number two. And my pick for number two is passive solar design. Now, you've heard a lot about solar, but what I'm talking about here is passive design. This is where we are using the sun's energy just through the way we design our homes. And we know that solar energy is by far the most abundant form of energy that the Earth has. According to NASA, the sun gives the Earth 10,000 times the energy that humans actually consume on a daily basis. So we have lots of incoming energy, and all we need to do is find ways to capture that in a sustainable way. And passive solar is an excellent cost-effective way to heat and even cool your home using the sun's energy. There are two main elements that we would look at with passive solar design. The first one would be having windows facing the equator. So that would simply allow the sunlight to come into your home more directly when you need that heating of the sun. The second element would be to have materials with a high thermal mass, something that is very massive and heavy, like a brick fireplace or a concrete floor, to absorb the heat of the sun and slowly distribute it throughout the building. That's another key element to passive solar design. And that heat will then be slowly distributed through conduction, convection, and radiation. So we can just think about radiation happening when heat radiates off of the road surface after a long hot day. Other ways that we can utilize the sun's energy is by having a designed sunroom where there's lots of glazing to allow sun to enter the room, which is of course great for growing plants and so on, and having a wall painted in a dark color and even with heavy mass filled with concrete or sand or something else to absorb and re-radiate the sun's energy. Now, a specifically designed wall like that is called a trombe wall. 
And they've been in use since the 1920s, and they're a really effective part of passive solar design. This is where we have a glass wall with a small corridor in between and a very massive brick or stone wall behind that on the interior of the building that absorbs the heat from the sun and re-radiates it out into the rest of the building. So that's a really great way to design spaces to take advantage of the sun's incoming radiation. Now, if you don't want something quite as purpose-built for solar heating, you might simply want to be really aware of the location of the windows in your house and how you can take advantage of the incoming solar radiation during the months when you need heating by opening blinds and maybe having something with high thermal mass in that area that can absorb and re-radiate the sun's heat. Now, what about cooling? How on earth do we cool taking advantage of passive solar design? Well, one of the key features of passive solar design is also paying attention to shading. Now, shading is a very simple way to prevent the sun from coming in your home. And this is simply by having an overhang over the window, such as an awning or a strategically placed tree, etc. And this means we can prevent the sun's rays from coming in the windows when we don't need that heat. The other interesting thing about awnings or appropriately designed overhangs is that we can allow the sun to enter the home in the cooler months because the angle of the sun is much lower, so it's able to penetrate beneath the overhang. And then, of course, in the warm months, the sun's angle is much higher and the overhang over a window is blocking the sunlight from coming in. So that's a really useful aspect to passive solar design and paying attention to shading. It's all about paying attention to the orientation of the sun and shading the windows. During the cooling season, the thermal mass absorbs the heat and redistributes it throughout the building. But in the summer months, we also want the cool air to be redistributed. So how can we achieve that? Well, a breeze is your friend. And we can do that by simply opening windows, especially paying attention to the thermal stack effect, where we know the hot air is going to rise throughout the home. So we definitely want to open windows at the top of the home and also open them in the bottom, allowing the cooler air to rise up and create airflow and a breeze indoors. If you don't have windows that allow for that, we can also use vents in the top of a sunroom, for example, to create this passive airflow movement through convection currents. And that is really smart design, just using the design of the building without any added energy. So that's really effective for heating as well as for airflow and cooling. That was number two, passive solar. Now, number three is drain water heat recovery systems. I don't know if you've ever heard about these, but they are super effective and low tech. According to the Sustainable Technologies Evaluation Program in Toronto, Canada, 
the average Canadian uses roughly 56 liters of hot water every day, whether it be in showers or washing the laundry, dishwashers, or sinks. And what we're trying to do here is find a way to use the heat from that discarded warm or hot water to heat up our incoming cold water, which just saves money and carbon emissions in the long run. So what are drain water heat recovery systems? It's a really low-tech system to save energy used on heating our water. It recovers the heat from the hot water that we use, and it uses it to heat our incoming water. According to energy.gov, the U.S. Energy Department's website, and I quote, non-storage systems usually have a copper heat exchanger that replaces a vertical section of the main waste drain. As warm water flows down the waste drain, incoming cold water flows through a spiral copper tube wrapped tightly around the copper section of the waste drain. This preheats the incoming cold water that goes to the water heater or a fixture such as a shower. And it's a really cost-effective way to use the energy of that outgoing wastewater. And the system itself only costs between $300 and $500. It can reduce water heater energy consumption by up to 25%, according to Manitoba Hydro. What I like about it is that it's really low tech and thus little can go wrong and it just saves you on your hot water heating costs and saves money for very little investment. And that's why it's now mandated in some jurisdictions to be installed in all new built homes. So it's definitely something worth checking out. On to number four, which is heat recovery ventilation. Now, imagine it's a cold day and you're using a lot of energy to heat your home and you're bringing in cold air to bring it to room temperature. If only there was a way to use this hot air that's leaving your home to preheat the incoming fresh air to save on the energy of heating that incoming air. Well, meet the heat recovery ventilation system. A heat recovery ventilation system, or HRV, they are really, really great for airtight and well-insulated homes that don't get a lot of fresh air circulation. Normally, you have to use a lot of energy to warm or to cool your home, but with heat recovery ventilation, that outgoing warm air that's stale and you want to refresh and you're letting it leave your home, it is going to be used to heat the incoming air, which really saves on money in both heating and cooling costs. This is really similar to the green building technology that I just mentioned, the drain water heat recovery system, but it's used for air. And for our homes, the average cost of installation is about $500 to $900. And what I like about it is that it's just really smart. It makes sense to use the natural properties of thermodynamics to help heat your home. Technology number five is a programmable thermostat. Now that we've learned about HVAC systems, those heating, ventilation, air conditioning systems, how can we control the HVAC system to be the optimal temperature inside of the building without wasting energy? Well, a programmable thermostat is a simple solution because we really don't need to be heating or cooling our home as much when we are away. And we can also reduce our heating and cooling needs when we're sleeping at nighttime. 
And with a programmable thermostat, we can control the temperature in our home so that we're not using as much energy on a day-to-day basis. For example, we can automatically adjust the temperatures at night to save on energy. And we can also lower the air conditioning when we're leaving for work for the day. And some programmable thermostats are even connected to Wi-Fi to allow you to track your energy consumption and your energy use patterns in real time, which can be helpful in allowing us to change our behaviors and reduce our overall energy needs. According to the U.S. Department of Energy, almost half of an American household's energy use is from heating and cooling the home. So there are huge benefits of installing a relatively inexpensive programmable thermostat. First of all, it saves on money. It can save the average home between 10 and 20% on heating and cooling bills. And it's a really sustainable and eco-friendly way to reduce your energy consumption. What I like about it is that you don't have to think about it. You set it once and it keeps on working for you. So it has a great benefit there. Technology number six, I am so excited to tell you about. It is rammed earth buildings. This is the use of earth to build our buildings. It's not a new technology, obviously. This technique has been used since the early 1500s in Lyon, France, where there were few trees for building homes. And according to the Australian government's Your Home website, and I quote, Rammed earth walls are constructed by ramming a mixture of selected aggregates, including gravel, sand, silt, and a small amount of clay into place between flat panels called formwork. Traditional technology repeatedly rammed the end of a wooden pole into the earth mixture to compress it, but modern technology replaces the pole with a mechanical ram. Stabilized rammed earth is a variant of traditional rammed earth that adds a small amount of cement, typically 5 to 10%, to increase strength and durability. Stabilized rammed earth walls need little added protection, but are usually coated with an air permeable sealer to increase the life of the material. It varies with circumstance. Thousands of unstabilized rammed earth buildings around the world have given good service over many centuries, end of quote. So the benefits of a rammed earth building are that the walls are very strong. In addition to that, you've created walls that have a high thermal mass. Now remember how useful that is from the passive solar design technology. It also provides sound insulation, it's fire resistant, and you could even be using the subsoil from the location that you're building at, which again further reduces the impact of transporting building materials to the site. What I love about this technology is that it is very natural, it's local, and incredibly beautiful. You can use different colored mixes to create wave-like patterns in the rammed earth wall, which are stunning. So on to technology number seven, which is solar hot water heating. Now I get it. Sometimes we all like to take a long hot shower or a bath, and it can be a great way to relax and even practice your singing skills. Solar hot water heaters are a great way to heat our water by taking advantage of the sun's free incoming energy. The sun's energy preheats the water entering our water tank, 
And this means that the water heater doesn't need to use as much energy to heat the water to our ideal temperature, meaning that we have lower utility bills as well as reduced greenhouse gas emissions. And another great thing about solar water heaters is that they can operate all year round and they can last a really long time, 25 years or more. One of the world's leading countries in solar hot water is actually China. And the most efficient solar hot water heating systems uses a series of evacuated glass tubes with a metal filament inside that sits on your home's roof. And they're connected to a header pipe containing a heat transfer fluid, such as 50% propylene glycol. And the sun heats those metal filaments in the glass tube. And because it's a cylinder, the angle of the sun hitting it is very, very large. And the hot metal then transfers its heat to the circulating fluid, which might get up to 150 degrees Celsius. And this energy is stored in a solar preheat tank until it's needed when you turn on your hot water. This system is particularly effective in cloudy and cold climates because it is so efficient. So this is the high-tech version of solar hot water heating, which is excessively efficient. But there are also low-tech versions, like those that are used in the tropics, where people use a black or dark blue rain barrel on top of the roof and allow the sun to heat it up and give them warm water for showering. And those low-tech ones are also used to heat swimming pools where you see that black PVC pipe running on the roof of a home or garage that just simply heats the water from the pool that's circulating in that piping. What I like about solar hot water is that it can be high-tech or low-tech, which means we can choose the technology that's most appropriate for this application. And then we can use the sun's energy to our best advantage. On to number eight, which is solar electricity. Now, this is using those solar photovoltaic cells or PV cells, which convert sunlight into electricity. And this is great because it allows us to move from just being consumers of electricity in our home to also being producers of electricity in our homes. Now, these photovoltaic cells use semiconductors to convert the sunlight into an electric current. The carbon footprint of solar photovoltaic is excellent. It's eco-friendly and it's a green building technology that allows us to overall reduce our footprints. In fact, as of July 2020, Sydney, Australia's downtown is powered 100% by renewable green energy. Bravo, Sydney. All of its energy is sourced from solar farms and a wind farm in the area. According to Sydney Mayor Clover Moore, as reported in goodnewsnetwork.org, and I quote, cities are responsible for 70% of greenhouse gas emissions worldwide. So it is critical that we take effective and evidence-based climate actions. The city of Sydney became carbon neutral in 2007 and were the first government in Australia to be certified carbon neutral in 2011. This groundbreaking $60 million renewable electricity deal will also save our ratepayers money and support regional jobs in wind and solar farms. 
end of quote. This is an amazing action taken by the city of Sydney and hopefully will inspire other cities to do the same. China has actually been a major player in solar electricity development as well. According to a BBC article, China has more solar energy capacity than all other countries in the world. China is home to some of the largest solar farms and is the largest manufacturer of solar panels. China's development of cost-effective solar panels has really transformed the photovoltaic market. If you're interested in learning more about solar energy and the battle of power to transition to a renewable economy, consider watching the documentary called Catching the Sun by the environmental activist and filmmaker Shalani Cantania with executive director Leonardo DiCaprio. A link to the trailer is in the show notes. Now, I'm not going to deny that there are impacts with solar electricity. There is high embodied energy in the photovoltaic cells themselves. We use a lot of materials in the creation of those solar panels, as well as large amounts of land for those central generating sites. However, their potential to offset highly polluting forms of electricity generation means that it really should be considered. What I like about solar electricity is that it can allow our power systems to become more distributed, where we have independent buildings and homes creating their own energy that we can then sell back to the grid, making our energy grids more stable and more resilient. And it also reduces the demand then to create new electrical generating facilities like power plants and hydro dams and so on. And this is really, really useful for us in the future as we think about growth and the need for electricity as part of our growth. Now, technology number nine is gray water recovery systems. Now, gray water refers to the wastewater from our sinks, laundry, showers, bathtubs, and reusing this lightly used water to reduce our overall water consumption. Now, please note, this does not relate to water from the toilet or the kitchen sink or the dishwasher. and Those have high organic content and potential to spread disease. In Canada, the average person can generate 300 liters of wastewater each day, according to ecohome.net. Do we really need to use drinking water for watering our plants and gardens and yards? On average, American households use between 30 and 70% of their monthly clean drinking water for watering their lawns and gardens. So, how do gray water recovery systems work? It simply takes the water coming from the drain from the washing machine or your shower or your bathtub or bathroom sink, filters it, perhaps treats that water, and puts it in a holding tank for storage. Then this gray water can be used for outdoor irrigation or even for flushing a toilet or doing laundry. While the water is usually filtered and purified for reuse, it's helpful to buy plant-friendly and biodegradable products to avoid damaging your plants. What I like about this system is that it reduces overall demand for water and reduces demand on sewers and septic systems and the sewage treatment plant. The entire water and wastewater system gets a break, so we have to install less infrastructure. 
Now, green building technology for your home, number 10 that I'm going to put out there is green roofs. A green roof can take a number of forms, but in general, it's a layer of vegetation planted on a flat or low slope roof over a waterproof membrane. These green roofs can be extensive, almost like a field covering a warehouse or manufacturing facility, or they can be intensive with smaller areas planted on raised beds or in pots, even on a rooftop in the city. I've linked to an article in the show notes that discusses some of the most impressive examples of green roofs around the world, including City Hall in Chicago, the Nanyang Technology University in Singapore, and the Convention Center in Vancouver. In Europe, green roofs are widely accepted, with some governments even legislating their use and providing financial support for installing them. So why are we so keen on green roofs? Well, because there are lots of benefits. Although there is a high upfront cost, green roofs can really have long-term benefits because they help to retain and absorb rainwater, which helps to reduce stormwater runoff. And they can actually help to cool cities through evaporation and dew and preventing the black rooftops from absorbing so much heat. And this reduces the urban heat island effect, which saves on cooling costs for the buildings. It can also help to reduce smog and pollutants in the city's air by absorbing those pollutants and even filtering out noxious gases. There are also added benefits of gardening opportunities in the green space, as well as recreation, coming together as a community, and even urban agriculture. Or just having a lovely place to enjoy nature while on your lunch break, even when you're right in the middle of the city. With regard to the energy efficiency, the green roofs provide added insulation as well, which means that we need less energy to control the temperature in the building for both heating and cooling. Green roofs have been shown to decrease the air conditioning requirements of a building by up to 75%, according to the National Research Council of Canada. In addition, green roofs can also reduce noise from the outdoors by as much as 40 to 50 decibels. It also has been shown to increase a building's marketability, as well as having added ecological benefits of increasing biodiversity by providing habitat for birds and pollinators and so on. What I like about green roofs is, well, they just look so cool. And they might actually be a way for us to get restorative in our design. Now, isn't that amazing? All right, that's it for today. The key messages I would love for you to take away from today's episode are my top 10 green building technologies for use in your home. Number one was geothermal energy that takes advantage of the Earth's constant underground temperature to heat and cool your home. Then number two, I wanted you to think about using the orientation of our homes and passive solar design to take advantage of the sun's free energy. Number three was drain water heat recovery systems to reduce the energy use by using the outgoing heat of your wastewater. Number four 
was heat recovery ventilation. Similar to the drain water heat recovery, with this system, we recover the heat of the air that we are expelling from our home and use that heat to preheat the incoming air. Number five was a very simple programmable thermostat that allows us to control the energy used in our home and on an ongoing basis to be more efficient. Number six is rammed earth buildings. These are incredibly beautiful and they have all sorts of benefits of using local materials, having high insulating value, and providing thermal mass, which can be very useful for passive solar design. Number seven was using solar energy to help us heat our hot water. And this can be either high-tech with evacuated tubes on our roof or very low-tech with a rain barrel on the roof. And number eight is to use solar electricity through the photovoltaic technology. This helps us be producers of energy as well as consumers if we install them on our roofs. It also means that our electrical grid becomes more resilient because we have multiple sources of energy production that is being shared in the grid. Then number nine is the use of gray water recovery systems to help us reuse some of that lightly used wastewater that leaves our home normally. This not only lowers our incoming need for water, but it also reduces the pressure on our wastewater systems and treatment plants. And then finally, number 10 are green roofs, which are not only energy efficient and help to absorb rainwater, preventing extreme runoff, they also help to cool cities and are beautiful green spaces for us to enjoy and even grow food on. So that's it for today. I will leave you with one final quote, which is, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. That's a quote from Archbishop Desmond Tutu. That's all for now. If you are interested in exploring these issues further, please head on over to my website. It is christinahunterflourishing.com. That's Christina with a K. There you will find free downloadable resources, including my Sustainable Wellbeing Starter Kit, and my green home guide with more tips for green living at home. And I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It comes out once a week and is full of resources and inspiration and news from the flourishing community. And if you're looking for a way to support someone going through cancer, please do send them a care package tailored to their needs from people who know at theunexpectedgiftbox.com. Finally, if you like what you are hearing, please leave me a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I can't wait to talk to you again. Until then, live well green, my flourishing friends. Bye for now.